have been doing a series on the Holy Spirit the last few weeks, and this series is really about us coming to understand and get a greater perspective of who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, how we can operate in His power, how we can grow in our intimacy with the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is the Spirit of God, who is the creator of all things, who is God's active agent here on earth. Um, When we experience the love of God, we're experiencing the Holy Spirit. When we experience His presence, we're experiencing the Holy Spirit, when we hear His voice and we experience Him guiding us and leading us and changing us and transforming us, it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus 1, and he says, I pray that you would come to know the great power that is at work within you, that you would stop looking to yourself and doubting yourself and wondering whether you'd be able to change or make a difference or do something in this world if you only knew that the same God who spoke the heavens into being, who created everything that exists, that same dynamic, dynamite power that is at work within this world and is at work through the Word of God and through His Spirit, lives in you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And if we have that spirit within us, all things are possible. If we have that spirit within us, we can stop making excuses. We can stop looking to the left and to the right. We can stop worrying because we know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Come on, we have the Holy Spirit with us. And, uh, and so we spoke about the person of the Holy Spirit, His will, His mind, and His emotions. We spoke about the fact that He was sovereign and that He is both sovereign and relational. He's not just sovereign and, and kind of forming things and shaping things and guiding things, but He also is relational. He cares. He loves. He's interested in your life. He's involved with, with your life. And, and, uh, and there's, a, there's a, um, this, the verse in Genesis 1 that says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, which is like a fluttering lovingly was the word. And there's this image of, of an eagle, uh, the, a mother eagle that would flap its wings over the nest to stir up the nest. There's, a, there's, a, there's compassion, there's emotion in that. And that's the person of the Holy Spirit. We spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit and how God's power uh, through His Spirit is capable of doing literally, absolutely everything supernatural that we could imagine. And if God created the entire universe by His power, in other words, this universe, what is seen, came out of what was unseen, as it says in the book of Hebrews. We believe that everything that is seen today came out of what is unseen. If that's true then what it means is is that this world is the result of a supernatural act of God. And if God could supernaturally act to create the world in which we live, including all of us, why do we think that He couldn't do supernatural acts within our lives, miracles and healing and and whatever else God determines to do, um, He is able to do that. And so we can believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor Mark um, uh, spoke about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, especially in how the Holy Spirit makes us able to choose to follow Jesus. Without His work in our hearts, without the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we wouldn't be led into this place where we could choose to walk with God and to know Him. And so the Holy Spirit um, has um, this incredible role in our lives, and we can grow in our knowledge and our intimacy of Him, and, uh, and we can experience His work. And so um, this morning, I would like to speak to you on the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is present in your life? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is present within a community? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is truly at work within a church and within a city when He is doing uh, what only He can do? And I remember Brendan Manning, I read the book, um, the, the Ragamuffin Gospel recently. I reread it again, and, and he speaks about a man who, who tried to go into church and, and he wasn't dressed correctly and didn't look the part, and they kind of ostracized him a little bit and he sat outside on the steps and, and as he was sitting there, you know, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, why are you so down? Why are you so worried? And he said, well, you know, they won't let me into this church. And the Holy Spirit said, don't worry, they haven't let me in there for years. Uh, I haven't been able to get in either. And some churches, not even the Holy Spirit can get in. Um, that's not theologically correct, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but the point is that, that, that the Holy Spirit is oftentimes minimized. His role is minimized within churches. 
His role is minimized within a community, and we become spectators. We become people that just go through motions. We become essentially as charismatic as we might claim to be religious. Religion isn't just when you've got an old-looking building with wooden pews and, and, uh, and, and all kinds of other things. You can be as religious um, standing in the front row of a church with a band and drums and loud music as long as your actions aren't connected to your heart and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. You're as religious. You're just going through the motions. And that's exactly the kind of faith or the kind of religion or the kind of action, uh, the kind of service that Jesus said he doesn't want. He doesn't want. He says, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your hollow actions. Think about your relationships with the people that you love. Would you want them just to go through the motions with you? Just like, well, I'm, I'm here because I'm just going through the motions. I don't really, it's not connected to my heart, but it's just what I do. So I'm just going to do, I'm just going to take the next step. Is that the kind of relationship you would want with the people that you love? No ways. God doesn't want your sacrifice. He doesn't want your hollow actions. He doesn't want your religious works. He wants your heart. He wants you to connect with him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be moved by him and experience him and be in love with him. Sometimes I wish we could sing on a Sunday morning as if we were genuinely in love with Jesus genuinely in love and, and, and full of faith for his, his involvement in our lives. Gratitude, grateful. Come on, I don't want us to be a church of spectators. I'm speaking a little bit into culture here this morning as well because you can just develop a culture of serving Jesus uh, on the back foot, just kind of sitting back and kind of going through the motions. That's not what we want. That is not what we want. We want to be on the front foot. We want to be moving forward. We want to be trusting, believing right on the edge of what God is doing. And we do that. We're only able to do that through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm super passionate about this because I've seen God work and I've seen Him change. And I've seen lives changed when a community comes together and they decide that instead of just going through the motions, they are going to passionately pursue the presence of God. Not that we need to uh, invoke his presence. He is present. When two or three gather, he's present. We just need to be aware of his presence. We just need to respond to his presence. I don't believe in, in the idea of God, pour out your spirit again. God, please show up. God is, yeah, we're the ones not showing up, right? We're the ones not showing up. He is always present. He is always faithful. He is always here. And he said that when we gather in his name, he is there. So right now, this is not a mystical thing. He is right here. He is right here at this moment, and anything is possible. Anything in your life can change. He can do miracles for you right now because he is present in this moment. We either believe that or we don't. I don't know if you've ever tried something um, only to realize that you didn't really have what it takes or you weren't as prepared to do the thing that you attempted to do as you previously thought. And as you step out to try this thing, you realize that you are completely out of your depth and you're left wondering why you've attempted such a thing in the first place. I'll give you an example. Have any of you here uh, ever tried or ever thought that it would be a good idea to wake up before the sun rises and go for a run? Come on, it's so romantic. Some of the, you know, you get this romantic notion of, of strapping on your shoes while the rest of the, of the city slumbers and you get out there and, you know, it's where the rubber hits the road and you start running out and you, you're getting fit and you're getting strong. You can see the music playing in the background. There's a whole montage of you getting leaner and stronger and fitter and uh, this is how you think about it. You imagine yourself running out in the streets, uh, fully kitted in Nike apparel, you know, the sun just peeking over the horizon as you stride from street light to street light, um, you know, music in your ears motivating you to be your best in every moment, and, uh, and when you actually try it, there's expectation versus reality that comes into play here, when you actually try it, if you've ever even made it out your front door, if you've ever even made it out of your bed and you've ever tried it, you run for roughly 200 meters, because I've tried this before, before you start questioning every decision you have ever made in your entire life, and you wonder what would possibly possess you to attempt something so foolish, and your body even begins to beg you and ask you why on earth you would do this to yourself. Can I have an amen? Anybody ever experienced this? What was I thinking? Uh, this last week, we had a long weekend, obviously, and and uh, on the Tuesday, I went and played golf with, with Brent and with Alan, and, um, and this is the thing about, with golf is that it doesn't matter um, how well things are going in your life, 
before you start the round. Doesn't matter how successful you've recently been or how many people look up to you, how much influence you have in people's lives or how much money you've recently made in your business. Halfway through a bad round of golf, doesn't matter how well it was going before, you feel like a complete failure. Anybody ever tried a round of golf? Um, and you stand there and, and, and you think to yourself, I, I don't really have leadership qualities. I've just been fooling the world up to this point. And there's nothing exceptional about who I am whatsoever. Would people, I literally had this thought on about the fourth hole uh, on Tuesday. I was like, would people even follow me or listen to my sermons if they knew that I just played my second shot from the rough of the hole I wasn't even playing, Okay. <laughs> Would anybody come to my church if they could see how badly I just played this shot? And so commentators, they have this, uh, in sports, they have this, this phrase that they often use that has stuck with me whenever a team, one team is doing well or pushing forward or one opponent is putting on pressure, they often say they're asking questions of the defense or they're asking questions of the opposition. They're asking questions of themselves, the opposite number. And this is a, a phrase that has stuck in my head, asking questions, because I believe that life asks us questions. If you've ever attempted something in life, it asks you questions about your values. What do you really value in this life? What is, what is really important to you? Life will ask you questions about your resolve. Are you really committed? Do you really want this? Is this something that you're going to pursue no matter the odds? It'll ask you questions about your ability. It'll ask you questions about your faith. Just try to build a career or or raise some children, or have a happy marriage, or, or, or uh, pursue your dreams, and these questions will be ringing in your ears. Any of you that have ever tried to do any of those things, or anything that we pursue in this life, will recognize and realize that, that these questions get asked of us again and again and again. Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes Am I the person that I believed I was or that I thought I was? Can I really make a difference? Does my life count for anything? Will I end up a total failure? Will I be lost in this process? Will I be broken in this process? Will I be overcome in this process? Will I disappoint everyone that's ever believed in me? Will I be able to live up to what people thought I would do? I mean, I had all those thoughts just after the first tee shot on uh, the, the first shot I played on golf on Tuesday. All those thoughts came to me. Will I disappoint every single person that's ever believed in me if, if this is the way that I hit my golf ball? And to you, you may have thought that way. A lot of us have wrestled with this, and we especially feel this way when it comes to our relationship with God. For many people, their relationship with God is one of a constant, very subtle, it's not something that we admit, it's not something that we would talk about, it's not something we would really even profess, but at times there is a subtle undertone of insecurity in our walk with God. What if I don't do what I'm supposed to do? What if I cannot uh, be faithful the way that I'm called to be faithful? What if I end up uh, making a mistake or I fall into sin or I do something I'm not supposed to do? What would happen to my relationship with God? And there's this insecurity that, that, that floods our lives where we feel like we're never quite doing enough. And, and um, I remember, and I don't know if any of you remember, the first time the show Big Brother came to South Africa. Anybody remember Big Brother? The first time that came out in South Africa, it was a big deal. I mean, I remember I was still at school. Everybody was talking about the Big Brother contestants. It was this crazy idea where you put all these people in a house, you lock all the doors, you don't let them out for a certain number of days. And, uh, and in that time, um, the, every single move and every single uh, you know, conversation, every single discussion, every single almost thought that they have is caught on camera. And you're watching the interactions, and they have challenges, and, and uh, such an interesting show. And all these people filled in this, in this house full of cameras. And I remember one particular conversation 
um, between two housemates where they were talking about their faith and their relationship with God. And it must be said for context that this was following a night where they were both drunk in the jacuzzi, okay? So, so there was a drunken jacuzzi night, and then uh, as, 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 as the custom goes, the next night they're talking about their faith and how much they love Jesus. And, and I, remember, I remember the girl in the conversation actually asking the guy that, was, that she was talking to, do you think, in terms of their faith and their Christianity and their walk with God, do you think we're doing enough? I feel like I'm not doing enough. Maybe you've had that thought, same as this Big Brother contestant, do you think we're doing enough? And the guy replied, and I, and I don't know why this was years ago, but I remember this reply. Um, he said, I think even if you brought a priest in here and asked him the question, he'd say that even he felt like he wasn't doing enough, so we should just do what we can. Now, I understand where his logic comes from, but, but what they're saying is, is that even people that are really committed feel like they still need to be doing enough so, or still need to be doing more. So even when it comes to us, as long as we're doing our best, then we should be okay. But the problem is they got the wrong focus. The problem is that they're focusing on all the do's and do's and do's instead of focusing on what has been done. Instead of focusing on what the presence of the Holy Spirit will produce in their life, because God is the one doing the doing and not us. And so to them, it's just, it's religion. That's, that's an image of religion. The Pharisees thought they were the best Christians or the best believers, the best followers of God, because they were the ones that did the most. But Scripture shows us they were the ones that displeased Jesus the most. Because what they did, they did in their own strength. They did building up their own righteousness rather than accepting the righteousness that comes from God. And so many of you may feel like you're not doing enough in your life and wondering if you have what it takes to live the life that Jesus called you to live. I think it's a lot of reasons, it's a, it's a big reason, it's one of the big reasons why a lot of people don't come to church, don't commit to God, don't commit to, uh, uh, you know, a walk or a journey with Jesus is because they believe or they kind of know themselves. Normally people that, that, that are, are withholding, they don't understand the gospel yet, but they withhold because they're actually a little bit more honest than a lot of religious Christians. Because they're saying, I know I don't have what it takes. They're still pretending like they do, but I know I don't. I know I can't serve God the way I know I'm supposed to. I know that I, I don't love people the way I'm supposed to. I know that I'm, I'm not faithful the way I'm supposed to be. And so I'm not even going to put myself in that position of having to be or try not to be a hypocrite because I know I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And so they choose to stay away rather than engage. That's why the message of the gospel is so important. That's why it's the most important message we have ever heard that we could ever share with anybody because ultimately our message is, is that you're not supposed to come here to try harder to be better. We're not enrolling you or enlisting you in a works program by which you will try and modify your behavior. We are inviting you to accept and receive the grace of God to know that you're completely forgiven, completely made righteous, completely right with God, and that His Holy Spirit is therefore now present in your life. And because of the presence of, your, of His Holy Spirit, things will change. In other words, just come as you are, put your faith in Jesus, and watch Him do the work through your life. Now, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we obey the Holy Spirit, we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we, we uh, put to death the, the desires of the flesh, but Galatians 5, which we'll get to later, tells us that how you put the, 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 the desires and the lusts of the flesh to death is not by focusing on the lusts of the flesh. It's not by focusing on the process of putting them to death. People who try to die to themselves consciously are actually just resurrecting themselves. The way that you put the flesh to, to death is by focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. It's by putting your, your, your eyes and fixing your eyes on Jesus. And as we put our faith in Him, guess what dies? Our faith in ourselves. So as you allow the Spirit to move you, you're putting the flesh uh, to death. You're crucifying the flesh. And so... People feel this way. They feel like, I'm, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes to live the life that Jesus called us to live. And, and if that's something that you've wanted, let me help you with the answer here. I do this with my boys sometimes in the car. Um, I remember when Leo was a little bit younger, I'd pick him up from school. And uh, we'd be driving home and stuck in traffic. Normally it takes us about 45 minutes to get home. And he would ask for yogurt. 
but we're driving in a car. I didn't bring, I didn't pack yogurt. So I can't give him a yogurt. And he'd begin to cry. I want yogurt. I want yogurt. And I would turn around and say, hey, hey, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Just stop crying. Let me help you quickly. Look at me. Look at me. And he looks at me and I say, no, you cannot have yogurt. Okay. So, so I'm going to help you this morning. Do I have what it takes? Can I live the life God has called me to live? Let me help you this morning. Everybody look at me. Let me help you. No. Okay. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot possibly even begin to fulfill the calling of God on your life in your own strength. The answer is just plain no. Don't even try. Don't even go there. Don't even fool yourself for a minute. You cannot do it. That was the entire purpose of the law. That is why God sent the law. And the book of Romans chapter 7 tells us this, is that the law was sent to reveal our sinfulness. It was there to show us that we cannot do it, not for us to try and live by it. You cannot do it. That's what it came to reveal. That's why the Bible says in Galatians that the law was a tutor leading us to faith in Christ. Why? Because I realize I cannot do it in my own strength, so I put my faith in Jesus. And it says, and now that you are under Jesus, you no longer need that tutor. You don't need the law to show you every time that you are a sinner. You know that you're a sinner already. You know that you're guilty already. You know that you have broken the law of God already and that you cannot possibly keep it in your own strength. And then you put your trust and your faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, he begins to change things on the inside of you and you begin to fulfill the law, not because you're looking at the law, but because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You begin to do the things that God has called you to do, not because you are trying very, very hard to be good enough to fulfill those things, but because you are trusting in the work that Jesus is doing in your heart as he leads you forward. So we cannot do it without the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live this life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. God wanted to reveal that very basic truth to us through the law, that, that we are flawed, sinful people that need a Savior and this is where the hope lies. This is the point where our liberty gets revealed. This is where our faith comes into its own. This is, this is why our message isn't that people should come in and try harder, but believe in a God who is so loving and so committed to us that he would take up residence within our hearts through the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that as we behold him, as we look to Jesus with unveiled face, we are transformed from glory to glory into his image as by the Spirit of God. So God's Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. He is present. He is present. And what is he doing? He's transforming you. He's turning you into the image of Jesus. He's helping you overcome your addictions. He's helping you overcome your vices. He's helping you grow in your, as a person, in your character, and in, and, and in all those things. Jesus is at work within you through his Spirit. This is the great message of hope. Every other religion says to people, come, we've got a system that you can try and, 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 and manage your sinfulness, manage your selfishness, manage your, you, you know, your vices. But Christianity doesn't say that. It doesn't say come and try. It says come and die. Come and die to your own efforts to be better and allow God to be at work within you. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and shape you and turn you into what God has destined for you. And that is why we are so, so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When the Holy Spirit of God is present, things cannot remain unchanged. Things cannot remain unchanged. And this is what Jesus has promised again and again. He said the Holy Spirit is present. He is. He will not leave us as orphans, but he will send us the helper. The Holy Spirit is with you. And some people live their lives. We spoke about this in week one. He is sovereign, and he is not the sensitive, runaway God that's just so scared. Like we spoke about in, in, in week one, some people see the Holy Spirit that if I just do the wrong thing, or I, I, I step into the wrong place, or, or I think something I'm not supposed to think, the Holy Spirit's going to flee. He's going to go hide in the corner. He comes on a Sunday morning, but he hides there just by the bathrooms, and he waits. And if we sing the songs just right, and if our hearts are just right, and if, and if we get everything just right in a moment, he might peek his head out, and he might move a little bit, but only until we do something wrong, and then he's going back to the corner by the bathrooms. What a silly idea. 
What a dishonoring idea of the Spirit of God who is sovereign, the sovereign creator of all things. If He chooses to move, even when we are broken and we are flawed and we're not doing everything just right, He will move sovereignly by His power because it's who He is. And so the Holy Spirit is present in your life. And guess what? If you put your faith in Jesus, He's present and He's not going anywhere. That's hope for me. That's hope for you. That means that even when you miss the mark, the Holy Spirit continually applies what Jesus has done. They say that God the Father initiated salvation. He's the one who, who, who was in his heart, God the Father, to initiate salvation. The Son of God accomplishes the salvation. He went to the cross. Jesus died on the cross and accomplished our, our salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. So God initiates the Son accomplishes and the Spirit applies, which means that when you are wanting to walk off into your former life or walk off into death or, or still dwell in areas of brokenness in your life, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't run away because you have those areas. He constantly applies the salvation of God and the grace of God to your life. He's applying the salvation. He needs to be around in order to do that. If the Holy Spirit leaves us, then God has left you, and God said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So he's present in your life, which is great hope for all of us, and he is the active agent. He's, he's you know, if you've, if you've ever picked up um, a bottle of pills or, or a headache tablet or whatever, and you've read, and it's got lots of ingredients, but it talks about the active ingredient. What is the ingredient that's actually doing the work in the moment? The Holy Spirit is the active ingredient of God in our lives. He's the one that, that does the work, that produces the effect. He's been given to us as a change agent. He's the, he's the transformer, not like Optimus Prime, but like, like the one who makes us more like Jesus. Okay, He is the one who, who causes the transformation. And so the message of Christianity is hope for everyone. Essentially, it doesn't matter how much you may struggle or may fail, the presence of the Holy Spirit will be at work within you. Romans 8 verse 26 says this very plainly and very clearly, and it talks in the context of prayer here, but it's also applicable in every other area. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Do you have weaknesses this morning? God's not afraid of them. He's helping you through them. He's not running away because you're not living right. He's present to help you get there. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Now the Lord is, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God is a Spirit, and where He is, there is freedom. So if you are struggling to get free from certain thoughts or certain addictions, or maybe you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, maybe you just cannot overcome something in your life, even though you want to honor God, this thing feels too big and too strong for you. The Scripture says that God is present, and where He's present, you have freedom. He's given you that freedom. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Another, as Pastor Mark spoke on this last week, in succession, the same as Jesus, uh, applying the same uh, uh, gospel and grace as Jesus. It's another in succession. And that word helper is like an attorney that comes alongside, someone that pleads your case. Somebody that is there to represent you, to help you, another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. He's with you forever. I hope this is speaking hope into somebody's heart this morning. You have a helper that is not going to walk away when, when, when things get bad. He is not going to turn his back when you fail. He is with you forever. He will abide with you. The Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor, or nor, sorry, nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and so we have him within us. We have him within us. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we have God's Spirit within us, this helper, this attorney, this active agent of God's grace and power residing within you. When Lance Armstrong the famous cyclist, now maybe infamous cyclist, when he won the Tour de France seven times, everybody looked at him and said, something has to be up. 
something that has to, and there were allegations for years that Lance Armstrong, for, for those of you that don't know, he is a cyclist that won the Tour de France, the greatest cycling race in the world. He won it seven times. It's never been done before. It's never been done since. Nobody has ever been that consistently good across so many years. If you win the Tour de France once, you'll be one of the best cyclists in the world, but to win it seven times is absolutely outrageous. And everybody looked at Lance Armstrong and they said there has to be something about him, there has to be something in him that allows him to operate at this level. People recognized that no human being could just do that. And so they suspected that, that he was using uh, uh, you know, uh, performance-enhancing drugs in order to be better, and he denied it for years, and recently it came out that he actually was, and everybody said, we knew it. We knew that nobody could be that good without help from the inside, and that's exactly how we are as Christians. When people look at our lives, they should look at us and say, I know Adrian, I know Will, I know Mornay. They are not that good. Nobody can just be that good. Nobody can be consistent like that. People should be looking at your life and saying, there's no ways that they can be that kind. There's no way they can be that gentle. There's no way they can be that generous or that loving or, 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 or you know, that compassionate. There, there must be something inside them that makes them better than what they are. And the truth is, it is. It's the Holy Spirit. See, having the Holy Spirit doesn't make us better than other people. It makes us better than ourselves. It makes me better. doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. I've got an agent at work within me that helps me to perform at a level that I would never have been able to in my own strength. We have that within us. People should witness the lives of Christians and say, there's something different here. A community shouldn't be this compassionate, this loving, this, this faithful, this, this able to endure difficulty, this gracious, this passionate. When people look at your lives, they should marvel and recognize that surely there is a supernatural element at work. God giving the ability. I have a friend that was a drug addict, um, and eventually in uh, you know, buying from a certain group of, of guys ended up actually dealing for them. So he went from being an addict uh, to also dealing, which is the one thing that they say you should never do. I just think don't have anything to do with it to start with. But, but an extra thing you shouldn't do is deal and use at the same time. And so um, he would drive into Hillbrow uh, many nights of the week and pick up uh, drugs from Nigerian drug lords that lived in, in Hillbrow, and he'll deliver them to customers all over the, the city. And if if you saw him uh, this morning, are we still good? All right. Uh, if you saw him this morning, if I could bring him here in front of you, uh, you would marvel because he really is just a skinny IT guy. He's literally an IT guy who was, uh, you know, selling drugs on behalf of the drug, you know, lords of Joburg. And, and so uh, he even... Uh, confessed to me that at times um, he skimmed a few things off the top, like he would take some profits for himself and, you know, he would, he would work it out that he made a little bit more money. Um, so you have this IT guy from Rudapurt um, stealing money from Nigerian drug lords in Hillbrow, and, uh, and he was completely addicted. Many times his family tried to intervene, um, and he would go out to um, different rehabs. Uh, he went to Noport and different places and try and get free, but he struggled for years. He always went back to that addiction um, until one day he walked into a church and he had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said he was driving along. He didn't even know what happened, but it felt as if he couldn't stop himself from turning the steering wheel and driving into the parking lot and parking the car and getting out. He never wanted to be in a church. He didn't even feel like he belonged in the church, but before he knew it, he was standing right there in the middle of the church wondering what he was doing there. And then the, the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God just hit his life and, and uh, the power of the Holy Spirit rocked him so hard that he was instantly set free from that addiction. He put the last stash of the drug money that he was still supposed to deliver, the profits he was still supposed to deliver in the offering basket. <laughs> Risking his life, praying that the, you know, the guys would never find him, and they never did. This was years ago. Just, I'm going to give this away. I'm not, going, I'm not even going back there to drop off their money. I'm done. 
just the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what, what God does when, when His presence is at work in our lives. The presence of Jesus and His grace in our lives, it has this effect of producing something. And in the Scripture, it's called fruit. It produces fruit. There's something. There's something visible. There's something that you can taste. There's something tangible to the presence of God in your life. If you planted an apple tree in your garden and year after year it, produces, it produced no fruit, you would say there was something wrong with that tree, right? There's something wrong because its intention, its purpose is to produce fruit. And so in the same way, if we're planted in Christ, our lives should because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, produce some fruit. And it produces the fruit of righteousness, because you wouldn't expect an apple tree to bear apples and a lemon tree to be, produce lemons, not as the result of self-effort. That's what I love. Uh, you don't have to plant a lemon tree and then shout at it and motivate it and like show it TED Talks and you know, gold cast videos for it to produce fruit. You shouldn't have to come here on a Sunday to see fruit in your life. If God is present and your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the fruit should come naturally. Trees produce fruit because it's their inherent nature. It's who they now are. And we produce fruit because it's who Jesus made us to be. And it's because his presence is with us. His Holy Spirit is within us. That's what happens when we're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. It produces fruit. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Such is a man, such is a woman who put their trust in God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like, you keep producing fruit. Fruit of righteousness. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I remember going to a ministry meeting here in Four Ways where they had pastors from all over Joburg together and they had a lady there speaking who represented um, a specific, uh, a particular missions organization. And she was trying to encourage us. She was, she was really sweet and really sincere, but she was also sincerely wrong um, in her theology. Uh, because she spoke about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and she said, the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit. I almost went into an old lady voice there, but that, <laughs> that would be mocking and so I won't. She said, the first three fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, and peace, that's God's job. The rest of them are our job. And I needed the fruit of the Spirit, specifically self-control, to stay in my seat, <laughs> and to not jump up, and to say something. Because that's where people get it wrong. They take over God's job in their own lives, and instead of trusting in Jesus, they make it all about themselves again. Instead of being dependent on the Holy Spirit, they become reliant on themselves. The fruit of the Spirit is exactly that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of good Christianity. It's not the fruit of good motivation and, and, and good commitment. It is the fruit of the Spirit. What do you need in your life? Just the presence of the Holy Spirit. When He is present, you will see the fruit. As we walk in His power, the desires of the flesh will be put to death. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us power to be better than what we could possibly be through His presence in our lives. I thought about the biggest ways that I fall short in life and that I've seen people fall short, and the first one is love. How many vices do we have and how many, how many things do we do wrong because we simply don't love others sincerely? We love ourselves more. Self-love is the biggest challenge that we have as people, and the remedy for that, what God gives us, when we, because we are selfish by nature, and we fail to love anybody but ourselves, is He gives us the fruit of love through His presence. All of a sudden, you're able to love people better than you ever thought you could, better than you ever could, because He's present. Joy. How often do we struggle with joy? 
so easy to be negative, so easy to be cynical, so easy to be defeated by our, by our circumstances, but the Spirit is present, and the presence of the Holy Spirit produces the fullness of joy. You can have joy in your life even when everything isn't going okay. Did you know that? He will give you a joy and a peace, the scriptures say, that surpass understanding. In other words, you don't even understand why you have joy, but in the circumstance, you have joy. You have Christians being uh, martyred in the Colosseum in, in, in the, the days of Rome, and they are being fed to the lions with smiles on their faces because the Spirit is present. We can overcome any kind of adversity because of the joy of the Lord. Peace. Sometimes it seems like no matter how well things are going in our lives, we just cannot seem to have peace in our hearts, cannot seem to get a good night's rest, cannot seem to, to just be at ease. We're always pursuing this sense of peace through controlling our circumstances. If I can just get this right and that right and that thing right, and if I can just sort this out, then I'll have peace. And we never, ever get there, so we never have peace. But when the Spirit is present, you will have peace. It's a fruit of his presence. Patience. Hello. Anybody ever struggle with patience? Anybody ever struggle? I was doing a, a, a wedding on Friday in Michalisburg. And you know when you're on those long kind of country roads and they're, it's very long single lane um, and you get stuck behind a slow moving vehicle. And, you know, I'm asking, you speak about asking questions. I'm asking this guy questions of his life. I mean, he couldn't hear any of them, but it was making me feel better. Now, what are you doing with your life? What is your purpose? How, how could you possibly have this much time to travel? Like, what went wrong in your childhood that gave you this little drive and this little sense of purpose that you would just drive so slowly? And then on the way back, I was on an important phone call, so I didn't care how fast I was driving. When I looked in the rearview mirror, there was like six cars probably asking me the same question. So we need patience. And here's the great news. Even if you don't have it, the presence of the Holy Spirit will produce it in your life. All of a sudden, you'll be able to be better than what you are. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I love that. I love that I'm faithful. Faithfulness is one of them. Have you ever wondered, can I be faithful? I love that I am faithful, not because I am faithful, but because the Holy Spirit within me is faithful. It's His faithfulness that makes me faithful. I love that I can be kind, not because I am kind, but because He is making me better than what I am. And I love the fact that if I have self-control, which seems so... Uh, ironic that self-control is not something that we can do for ourselves. But if I have self-control, it's not because I have the ability to control myself. It's because the Holy Spirit is empowering me to have self-control. See, don't rely on yourself to control yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to control yourself. Fix your eyes on Him. How amazing is it to know that when we don't have what it takes, when we, when we don't have love or patience or kindness or self-control, the Holy Spirit is providing for me in every one of those areas with all the power that I need to walk in these things I could not have walked in in my own strength. The presence of the Holy Spirit. So if we have anything, or if we are anything, all the glory belongs to God. That's why Paul says, I'm done boasting about my strengths. I'm just going to tell you about my weaknesses. Because what I recognized is that everything that I am, I am only because of the grace of God. And so my weakness reveals his glory. And so I'll boast in my weakness so that you would know that it's not I who am strong. I am weak, but he is strong. I am weak, but he is strong. That's what happens when he is present. And so we are without excuse, church. We are without excuse. Don't tell me that you cannot change or that you cannot quit or that you cannot live differently. The Holy Spirit is present in your life. He's present. And His fruit is on the tree of your life. 
The Holy Spirit also empowers us, and we won't have time uh, to go through all of this, but I cannot talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit without mentioning two more things. And the one is that the Holy Spirit empowers us with supernatural gifts. Not just fruit, but gifts for ministry, to build up the church, to, to be a testimony to unbelievers, to, to make us effective and powerful within ministry. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 11, it says, For to one is given through the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. He's sovereign in this, and, and I believe that these are tools, not medals of honor. If God often uses you, for example, in the gift of prophecy, then that's not a medal of honor to be worn on a Sunday. That is a tool for the job, and we are only to report for duty. If God has given you a gift, use it in honor of Him. Use it, is what the Scripture If God has gifted us by His Spirit, use it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can use any of us in any one moment in any of those gifts. Some of us have a ministry where God would use certain gifts regularly. For example, if you have that office or that ministry of a prophet, God would often use the, gift, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and the discernment of spirits in your life in order to help you fulfill that office. But God could use anybody here in a moment to bring a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom or to pray for somebody for healing. God calls certain people to, to work powerfully in that gift, but any of us can pray for anybody else and see the gift of healing at work because the Holy Spirit will give us these gifts as He wills. So when He's present, you have power for ministry that takes you beyond your own ability to see the supernatural. And I want to tell you, this is not a special level of Christianity because that's the problem. Once again, we've said that if you pray so many hours and faithful for so many years and read your Bible so many times, then God can use you. It's not true. The Holy Spirit does it to each one individually as he wills. You could get saved five minutes ago and be used right now to give a word to somebody or to pray for somebody or to see something happen in somebody's life. Because it's by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It starts operating that moment you are saved. And that's why they are called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's not called the reward of the Holy Spirit or the salary of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you earn. It's a gift. So that's the one. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. And the last thing that I wanted to mention this morning, even though there's so much more I could talk on this topic, we could literally do 10 series just out of this, but is the ability to speak in tongues the ability to, to have this heavenly prayer language in which we can pray in tongues. And I want to make it very clear for people that struggle with this concept that we are not talking about the gift of tongues because the Bible says that the gift of tongues is a message to the church. It's there to edify and to build up the church. And so the gift of tongues is essentially when somebody feels impressed on their heart that God is calling them to bring a message and they will come up and they will take the microphone and then they will speak in a tongue. And, and uh, Paul says it's useless unless somebody interprets. And so the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues must always go together. Somebody else should come up and say, this is what God is saying through that tongue. This is the message. Paul says, I'd rather prophesy five words of prophecy so that everybody can understand rather than thousands of words in tongues that nobody understands unless someone interprets. And that's why he says prophecy is a greater gift than tongues. But it's there to edify and build up the church, 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to clarify and go through everything, but, um, but we will do more on this in the future. But when God gives us a heavenly prayer language, the ability to communicate with our Creator, this is, as it says in Jude 1.20, we're going to look at it in a moment. Don't put it up yet, but we're going to look at it in a moment. But in, in that scripture, it says that you build yourselves up. So the prayer language of, of tongues is to build up your own spirit, and the gift of tongues is to build up the church. It's something public. The other one is something private. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, 
My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll do both. Now, please notice, because this is where people get it wrong, okay? He says that, he starts off by saying that, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and then he says, so I will pray in the spirit. Some people say, say that praying in the spirit doesn't mean tongues. He clearly shows that praying in, the, in tongues is synonymous with praying in the spirit, right? You can see it there. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. We can engage both and we can do both. And so praying with tongues and in the Spirit is used interchangeably here. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. We build ourselves up when we pray in the Spirit. You know, this is great. Sometimes I'm driving, and I like to pray while I'm, while I'm driving because it's just time that I can redeem and I'll be driving, and I'll be praying, and I'll be thinking about what's going on in my life, and I'll be thinking about different things to pray for, and, and, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, there's a situation where I have to concentrate, like I have to take an on-ramp, or you know, there's some traffic situation in front of me, or whatever, and I don't need to stop praying, because I have to start concentrating on something else. I just switch over into tongues, and pray in tongues for a while, and then I can go back to praying in the mind, as God reveals things to my heart and mind through praying in tongues. It means that I can stand in one room and pray for 24 hours if I need to, and I've done that before. We used to have 48-hour prayer meetings. You know, people, you kind of shake them after about 16 hours, and they just kind of lift their heads and they go, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, like, like don't pretend like you were praying. Some of my spirit was praying. Mind was unfruitful. But you can pray nonstop because... This is where Romans 8 comes in. 26 says that when, when the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, when we do not know how to pray as we ought, He intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered in human speech. The ability to pray the will of God when you don't know the will of God. It's a powerful thing, a prayer language that God has given us. Ephesians 6.18 mentions the armor of God, and it ends off by saying that we should pray at all times in the Spirit. It's part of the armor of God that we can pray in the Spirit. It would be unfair if only some people got that gift or that ability to pray in the Spirit. When Paul says that you can build yourself up in it, and he says that it is something that, that you should do in order to equip and arm yourselves, oh, but only some of you can do that. The rest of you, don't worry. Don't worry. You, you, you'll be fine, hopefully. No, he says we are all to pray in the Spirit and build ourselves up. That means that this heavenly prayer language of tongues is for everybody. We are, to, we are able, through this, to build ourselves up, to be strengthened in every situation by the Holy Spirit. This is what makes us strong as Christians. Not that we are sufficient, not that we have what it takes, but because God is strong. We have this indomitable spirit within us. This ability to never give up. This relentless strength. We can do all things, not because we are strong or good or perfect, but because Jesus is at work within us through his Holy Spirit. And I thank God that when I am weak, he is strong through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? When you are weak, you are strong. Be encouraged because the Spirit is present and he is everything we would ever need. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together this morning.